electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Right now on Last Call, Xing with Elon Musk. Will he successfully pull off Twitter's stunning rebrand? Biographer Walter Isaacson is here. Uh-oh, oil prices on the rise. Why, they could go a lot higher from here. The real numbers behind student loan debt and why the economy just might be okay. Call it streamflation. Guess how much more you're paying than just a couple of years ago for all those services you use. It could make even Jerome Powell blush. Plus... It is Make It Mondays. We're going to meet the entrepreneurs who risked it all on a campground. And it wouldn't be last call if we failed to celebrate National Tequila Day. That's it. So belly up or buckle up. Last call is up right now. Well, good evening here. Good afternoon out west, everybody. I am Brian Sullivan. Hi. We're going to hit all those stories during the hour. But first up on last call, the new week kicking it off for your money with another bang. The Dow 30, you might have heard this once or twice on this fine network today, has now closed higher 11 straight days, the longest win streak in six years. And by the way, if you're playing at home, the all time record for the Dow is 13 positive days in a row that was set all the way back in 1987. So which blue chip stocks have been on fire during the Dow's record run? Well, there's a tie at number five and number four. Salesforce and Amgen both up about 8% over the past 11 days. Number three, J.P. Morgan Chase, America's biggest bank. It's up 9% in 11 sessions. United Health. It is up 10%, but the top of the list, Goldman Sachs. Goldman Sachs has gained 14% in 11 sessions. Wow. By the way, the worst performer during the streak, yeah, sorry, it's Verizon, down more than 5%. So the Dow's up 11 days in a row, and Verizon is down. By the way, what, what the heck is wrong with Verizon? Anyway, that's for a different show. All this comes as Wall Street kicks off a very busy week for earnings and... Wednesday's decision on rates from the Federal Reserve. What, if anything, can derail this red-hot market rally? Let's find out. Kick it off today and welcome in Veritas Financial Managing Partner and CBC contributor Greg Branch and Bespoke Investment Group co-founder Paul Hickey, who always brings the receipts on cool market trivia that, you know, once or twice I may or may not have lifted for the RBI segment, Paul. So I'm going to start with you. I saw one of your cool stats. 11-day runs have happened how many times since World War II and what has happened in the months after this has occurred? Yeah, so good evening, Brian. Uh, so it's happened only six other times you've had a streak of 11 or more up days uh, in, the, in the Dow since World War II. So it's less than once a decade. But what you look at going forward is three months and six months later, the Dow was higher all five prior times. Mm. 
One year later, it was it was down once. The only period it was down over the next year was after the 1980 January 1987 streak. But that was after it had gained an additional more than 20 percent before the October crash. So which was nine months after that streak. So six months later, uh, it was very strong. And I think what you look at with a lot of these indicators, we're seeing a lot of extreme readings, uh, extreme overbought levels and streaks. Uh, you know, they are alarming with your instinctive reaction. Mm. Then when you think about it, you only see these types of moves during bull markets. You don't see them during bear markets. And bull markets are notorious, obviously, for better than average returns. Six times since World War II, Greg Branch, you just heard Paul, we have seen 11-day streaks happen. Six out of those six times, I'm not Oppenheimer, but my math says that's 100%. The market has been higher months later so are you like mortgaging the house and selling the car to just buy all kinds of buying Verizon? <laughs> like, what do you make? What do you make of this run? So it, look, it, it's been something, and I suspect we will dent that hundred percent, uh, that hundred percent record that Paul speaks of. Uh, I'm not much of a chartist. Uh, I, I'd rather look at the underlying fundamental data, and the underlying fundamental data. I don't know about those past runs. Says that this market started at a place that was not necessarily attached to the fundamentals. Just like it is foolhardy for a bear to believe that we could have 500 basis points of raising in a year and not see any progress against inflation, it would be foolhardy for a bull to believe that we could have that amount of raising in that short a period and it not cause a slowdown. And we are starting to see the evidence of that already. Aside from what I think the Fed will continue to do, and remember, Brian, I think my terminal rate projection, which I've held since October, is six and a quarter. But credit is becoming a problem. It's becoming a problem. We hear that from the banks where loss is starting to tick up in every conceivable category. It's become a problem for the consumer. Where we saw last month, it dipped down to seven billion in terms of additional credit when the expectation was 20. That long-awaited deterioration of the consumer, I think, is starting to hit very hard right now. Very meaningfully. But, but Greg, I'll come, we'll back to, I'll come back to you on that one. Here, here's, I guess, the weird irony, of course, of the stock market. It's that, and you're right, there mm-hmm. are some signs the economy is beginning to slow down. Credit is getting tighter. There's no doubt it's going to even tighten further. That said, I guarantee you, if the market keeps going up, the bulls will say, ah, the economy's slowing, so the Federal Reserve may have to start cutting at some point, you know, that's happening. They're going to make they're going to find a reason why the market's going up. We know it's more buyers and sellers, and it's probably a lot of hedge funds that things have hit technical levels. I wonder if it has anything at all to do with earnings whatsoever. I don't think it has. And, and we've already used that narrative. Right? And recall that the market was looking for rate cuts in the back half of this year for most of this year. Uh, while I find that I found a zero percent probability of that because the Fed kept dismissing the possibility of that. And so part of this rally is that we are focused on the narratives we want and not necessarily the narratives that the Fed or others mm. are trying to author or that the data is trying to tell us. Uh, so look, I, I look for us to slow in the back half. I look for this quarter to be better than expected, but that's still going to be yeah. mid single digit negative. And so I don't see how we see an expansion and I don't see how these market loves sustain in the absence of an expansion. Yeah, and, and I guess, you know, we brought this up on Closing Bell. I filled in for Scott today, Paul, and, and here's kind of the dirty secret. Don't tell anybody. Let's keep this between us. This has been a global it's been a global stock rally. I'm not taking anything away from the U.S. The Nasdaq 100 up more than 40% great year. 
But there are many nations, their stock markets have done better than us. Parts of Europe, even, with all their problems, are doing better than us. Mexico's up 29%. Brazil's up 25%, I think. You know, most major markets are higher. It's like this weird global market inflation. Well, I mean, I think when you in the international markets, part of that is the weak dollar. But just going back to the prior comment that the economy is starting to slow down, I mean, I think you have to look back at 2022. We had the first half of the year, two consecutive quarters of negative GDP. In all throughout history, that's always been a recession. So it's only not a recession in name, but it's a recession in every other indicator. And you can say that employment was strong last year, and that's why it wasn't declared a recession. Real average hourly earnings were down every month last year. They're only starting to turn positive. So I think in that respect, uh, you know, you have the market sort of looking ahead here. And what we have seen is we've seen inflation decline at the rates that we haven't seen in only a few other times throughout history. Sure, it was from high levels, but every other prior spike down in inflation came after a high level of inflation. And when you look at what the markets have done following those periods, markets they don't like inflation. It's like kryptonite. Lower inflation is the anti-kryptonite for the markets, and markets love falling inflation, and, and that's what we've seen. Uh, yeah. we, we had an under-three-handle on year-over-year headline CPI last month. We'll leave it there, but it does make me think about 1994-95. In 94, the Federal Reserve raised rates 2.5%, and in 1995, the Dow rose 33%. They can go hand-in-hand, hand, but great stuff there, Greg, Paul. Thank you both very much, guys. Appreciate you staying late. All right, so we obviously just hit the market, but if you're just tuning in, here's the final rundown today. The Dow, <laughs> yeah, you might have heard, it went up. There we go. The Dow is up 183 points. NASDAQ, not a big gain, but a gain nonetheless. Inside the market, your big winner of the day, Becton Dickinson, up nearly 6%. They got a big FDA approval. And the biggest decliner, robot surgery maker, intuitive surgical, sliding about 4%. All right, up next on Last Call, fill up today while the surge in oil prices may only just be starting. Plus, the bird is out, the X is in. Can Elon Musk land his high-stakes Twitter rebrand? Musk biographer Walter Isaacson is here with his take next. You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, No one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.
All right, time for tomorrow's news tonight. First up, more pink slips in Silicon Valley. Venture capital giant Sequoia Capital laying off seven employees from its talent operations business. We get it. That's not many people, but here's why it's important. It's actually a third of that division, and you almost never see job cuts at venture capital firms. That's why it's newsworthy. All right. Next up, let's talk oil and gas prices, because despite all the talk about renewables, this weekend, America's energy secretary told CNBC Asia that the United States needs more oil production, in part to keep down gas prices. We want to see more supply. It gets dangerous when the price is so high. I think the prudent course is to ensure that that transportation is affordable for people. And uh, that, of course, means making sure that supply is stable. Now, for many, that's going to be viewed as kind of a surprising statement coming from the White House cabinet, especially because the president ran in part on a platform of, quote, phasing out fossil fuels. But if you've actually been paying close attention, you could make an argument that this has been a relatively pro-fossil fuel administration. Don't believe me? Listen to the last two years. All right, you obviously just had that quote this weekend urging more oil production, of course, just not on federal lands. We're also in the middle of a boom in natural gas, including liquefied natural gas export boom that will likely last for decades. There was, a couple months ago, a recent lease sale of 1.6 million acres in the Gulf of Mexico. Yes, much of it in shallower waters, but a lease sale nonetheless. The White House also approved recently a huge ConocoPhillips drilling project in the Arctic of Alaska. ExxonMobil is expanding a refinery for the first time in decades. The Mountain Valley Pipeline in West Virginia is likely going ahead. And by the way, the refill, the SPR, will keep demand higher for years. And even the big climate spending bill will finally help oil and gas companies like Exxon and others build out their hydrogen business. Oh, yeah. And every single oil and gas stock is up big the last couple of years. Now, this is not our RBI. Should be, probably, but it is definitely random but interesting and probably a bit surprising to many. Let's bring in trader Matt Maley of Miller-Tabak and Bob McNally of Rapidan Group. And, and Bob, I understand that a lot of the pro-fossil fuel crowd out there is going to say you're crazy, but those are, those are facts. Those things have actually occurred. So what do you think? Is there, and you're, in, you're in D.C. You, you know a lot of these people personally. I think when he was vice president, Joe Biden understood the importance of oil and gas when the economy tanked. I wonder if there's more of a pro-bias than we think there is. What's your take? Well, you know, Brian, uh, when Joe Biden worked with President Obama, you could argue it was all of the above. He allowed fracking to continue. They liberalized crude oil exports, natural gas exports. Joe Biden came into office with keep it in the ground as his mantra, canceled Keystone on the first day. But he has been mugged by reality since the fall of 2021. Rising oil prices have forced him, dragged him and his administration back to a more pragmatic policy, which arguably he had when he was vice president for uh, President Obama. So it sounds like what you're saying is keep it in the White House is more important than keep it in the ground. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Absolutely. No. Look, this White House has learned, I mean, rising oil prices are an existential crisis for a politician. They will end your reign really, really fast. And they've been, again, since 2014, 2015, oil prices have been low. But after the bust comes the boom. And Brian, yeah. we're only in the foothills of a boom, boom cycle. I believe in oil prices, so they should get used to it.
You know, Matt Maley, uh, oil prices today closed above $77.10 here. I bring that up because that's the number where we closed above our 200-day moving average for the first time in 11 months. First time in nearly a year, oil prices above their 200-day moving average. We've been here before, though. It's tested and failed. There's a lot of tools in the toolkit for keeping oil prices down, apparently. But oil stocks, they're looking pretty good right now. They sure are. And and I got to tell you, Brian, I've listened to you uh, uh, interview people for many years, always great interviews, but uh, the quote, mugged by reality, that's going to be, I think, my all-time favorite, <laughs> Bob Dish Juice. That was just fabulous. Uh, but anyway, yes, uh, you, know, you know, technical analysis was something that was uh, invented by uh, commodities traders, and that 200-day moving average uh, was an, a, a very, very important resistance level. We bumped up against it a couple of times, couldn't break through it. Now, again, sometimes we, we get little head fakes where they break above a key level and then pull back down very quickly. But if we stay above this level and from everything we're seeing uh, recently, uh, it's going to continue higher and that's going to be very bullish for these energy stocks. Yeah, the the whole and I'll come back to Bob in just one second. I want to talk about OPEC. But from a stock perspective, Matt, again, is there something we're watching, some kind of resistance, some some level we need to see to really know the breakout is here? Well, this this key, you know, we want to make, uh, you know, as I say, when you break a, uh, a, a what do you call it, a, a moving average, that's always important. But you want to get that uh, above uh, and make a higher high, follow it up with a higher high. And that when we get there above about 77.50 uh, is going to do it. But again, you always want to get a little bit more than just a few pennies above it. But yeah. you get up into the into the high uh, 70s. You don't have to get above 80, I guess, is, is my point to really kind of confirm that the breakout has taken place. Yeah, Bob, quickly, I'm going to show you a chart uh, by a guy named Bob McNally Rapidan. You may have heard about him. And it has to do with what OPEC is, is expecting later this year, next year, supply deficits, right? I mean, OPEC itself sees a supply. It doesn't mean they'll be right, but they see a supply deficit. Demand continues to be strong. Those numbers, by the way, are coming down. That means there's a gap between what we need and what we have. Could $100 oil be around the corner here? No question. No question. I've rarely seen. Uh, OPEC cut into its own balances, which are similar to mine and others, showing such deficits. I mean, it's, it is really uh, unusual. And I think you can explain it. They want to take a little insurance out. Look, this could be 2008. This could be where demand is about to collapse. Who knows? Weird macro stuff is going on. So they're taking out a little insurance. But you know, Brian, I was in Vienna for the OPEC seminar, saw some of the ministers. I think they're pretty confident that they just have a little bridge here we get into the fall. The industry is going to see these big inventory declines, and they will yeah. be visible. And when they do, I think this rally has just begun. We'll go well into the 90s, and I think before the year is out, uh, touch if not exceed wow. 100. And by the way, the number of oil drilling rigs, according to Baker Hughes, continues to fall all at the same time. Bob McNally, by the way, one of the few guys I've actually seen at an OPEC meeting. Matt Maley, thank you both very much, gentlemen. We appreciate it. $100 oil could be on the way. All right, on deck, you hear a lot about how much the average student loan debt payment is, but that number does not tell the whole story, and the real data will surprise you. We got it. Plus, Twitter going the way of the dodo bird. Can Elon Musk stick the landing with the ex-rebrand biographer Walter Isaacson? We'll be here next. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, No one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. 
That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. All right, welcome back to Last Call. Today's RBI has to do with the thorny issue of student loan debt because there's some concern that when payments kick in in the fall, it could have an impact on consumer spending and the overall economy. It's a real concern. But once you look a little deeper inside the actual numbers, there are some surprises. Okay, first, you often hear all the time that the average student loan monthly payment is $373. It is, and that's a pretty big number. But here's what you don't hear much. That average is skewed way up because a small percentage of borrowers owe a huge amount of student loan debt. In fact, fewer than 10% owe about half the debt across all age groups, actually about 7 or 8%. Hundreds of thousands of dollars owed each. That's likely professional school debt, law school, med school, etc. The median monthly payment, which is probably a better measure, is $222. Now, if we go even deeper, credit tracking from TransUnion just posted some really interesting findings about the exact monthly burdens. Here they are. 26% of student loan borrowers have a monthly payment under $100. Another 23% are under 200. They're between 100 and 200 a month. So about half of the 40 plus million people who owe on student loans are paying 200 or less back per month. Another pretty big group under 300 per month. TransUnion shows that it really scales up from there with about one in five borrowers paying 500 per month or more, including ugh, some over a thousand bucks each, but it's a very small percent and there's more. TransUnion also found that the three-and-a-half-year forbearance period on student loans may have also prompted some people to take on other kinds of debt. With millions of new bank and retail credit cards being opened in three years, along with about 36% of borrowers taking on debt to buy a car and 15% buying a home. Bottom line for the economy, perhaps some good and bad news here. The good news is that despite that fairly high average number, more than half of all payments are 200 a month or less, hopefully manageable for most people. The bad or concerning news is that millions of borrowers also layered on other kinds of new debt the last couple of years. So the keys to watch here will be credit card delinquencies, car payments, and even some mortgages. Random and hopefully interesting. All right, in the meantime, X is everything, or is it? I mean, you know it's one of the least frequently used letters in the English language. It's only behind, by the way, Q and Z. But Elon Musk remains determined to make everything X, from SpaceX to XAI, and now simply X. By the way, if you're not on Twitter, you're not following this, Twitter is becoming X. The bird logo, gone. Now it's this sort of black and red X thing as Musk launches his rebrand for the social platform. He's also been fixated on the concept of an X for more than 20 years. And new excerpts, excerpts from Walter Isaacson's upcoming novel, Elon Musk, showcase how the Tesla CEO founded X, biography, excuse me, X.com back in 1999. Why? 
Well, to create a, quote, one-stop everything store for financial, banking, digital buying, credit cards, investments, loans, Tesla, whatever. But does even Musk have the bandwidth to execute this vision with everything else he has going on? Joining us now is Walter Isaacson, the upcoming author of the biography, Elon Musk, also a CBC contributor and, and, a, and a writer. Every book he writes, you should read. Walter Isaacson, thank you very much for joining us, sir. You, you probably well, know- thank you, Brian. No. That was nice. Well, my honor. Listen, I have read everything you've done. Um, you probably know Elon Musk now as well or better than any non-family member or longtime friend. What do you think he's doing here? You know, he's always wanted to have what he called X.com when he founded it in 1999. Basically, the combination of a financial services, social media, something that would put together Baidu and TikTok and uh, you know, YouTube, it would be a platform for creators. And he's also always been infatuated with the letter X. You mentioned that in your introduction, but he even calls his uh, young kid X. And that's part of a name that uh, he gave uh, his young son. It's sort of like a druid password, but <laughs> the first letter is X and that's what they call him. And he appears on every map. Walter, <laughs> <laughs> you know, listen, I get the concept. It's if, it's kind of like, and for our viewers that, that don't know, there's a company in China called Weibo, which is yeah. kind of like a Twitter, but you can buy stuff on them. You can do a lot more than just sort of, you know, rage tweet about stuff. It, it feels like that's kind of the model he's going for. Exactly. Weibo is uh, is the exact model combined with everything from Substack to YouTube. He wants people to be able to create content, videos, stories, whatever. He wants it to be a financial uh, platform. One of the things we have now is if you want to get an article from uh, many newspapers, you have to subscribe. And I'm always hitting paywalls you know, I subscribe to about 12 newspapers, but I'll hit a paywall when I get to, say, the Minneapolis Star Tribune. I want one article. If you could have a financial services app that gave small payments, both to content creators, but also newspapers, anybody who made things, that would actually be transformative to the world of journalism. It would. I, I, lo I love the idea. You're right. You want to read something from the Minneapolis Star Tribune? You don't yeah. live anywhere near Minneapolis. You're not going to subscribe. <laughs> you like the article. You hit a button, 99 cents. Boom. They get paid. Steve Every Jobs figured that out with the records. Yeah. 99 cents, one click. S same model. It's just bizarre. It hasn't happened yet. That said. Totally. All right. Musk was sort of a, you know, he, he built, he basically single-handedly built the electric car market in the United States. All right. People loved him forever. Sort of a hero on that side of the political spectrum. Then he buys Twitter, <laughs> right? And he allows some stuff to come out. Hate speech goes up on the rise, whatever it might be. Now people, it's like they're, they're just rooting against him. Yet a lot of people are still rooting against him on Twitter, which is a little bit odd, Walter. But that said, does he care? Does he care that it almost feels like a lot of high-level people are rooting for him to fail? You know, I think he loves being in the arena. His favorite line from a movie is the end of Gladiator. Are you not entertained? And so I think he kind of relishes the drama. One of the themes is my, in my book is ever since he was a young kid beaten up in the schoolyards in South Africa, having his head smashed against the concrete steps, his brother Kimball said it made him 
a, a drama magnet. He really loved having a storm. And I think there's certain, I'm from New Orleans, you know, there's certain people who are never more excited than when a hurricane's coming. I started this book right after he moved us into the era of electric vehicles and uh, Tesla sold a million cars, right after he created uh, the internet in low earth orbit with Starlink and he had rocket yeah. ships that could shoot up and then land again. He was the only person, the only entity that get American astronauts into orbit. And it seemed like at the beginning of 2022, everything was going smoothly for him. But as he said, I'm not made for smooth times. And I remember early that year, he was starting to acquire Twitter stock. He just couldn't help himself from wanting a new yeah. chapter, a new drama. And I'm sure he wants, he doesn't want anything to fail. I get it, but he can afford the 44 billion even if he, he lost it all. Walter, what's, does, does he have the bandwidth for this, this Twitter rebrand and whatever you, whatever you want to call it? I mean, here's the thing. Is, I, I'm so vexed, but also intrigued by Musk. He's got nine or 10 kids. He always appears to be in a different location. Maybe there's multiple Musks, who knows? And what's a typical day? He's tweeting at all hours of the night. This could be programmed. What is a typical day like for him? You know, it's amazing. He's got six companies that he basically runs. If you count Twitter, if you count XAI, the new uh, artificial intelligence company he does. And his typical day, because for almost three years now, I've been by his side day after day, hour after hour, is he focuses serially. He'll drill down for two hours on the most arcane problem, say, with the Raptor engine and Starship and whether or not you could change the heat shields. Then, boom, his mind immediately will move to, say, an issue of Twitter server capacity. Or he'll get some impulse. Now, one of the things yeah. about him, for better and for worse, is he's impulsive. It's, it's incredible. Uh, six companies. Walter Isaacson, can't wait to read the biography of Elon Thank Musk. Thank you, Walter. Have a great day. Thank you, Brian. All right. Very welcome. All right. Time now for our quicker than the ticker. All the news that matters in the world of business and a new avocado. Let's put 60 seconds on the clock and go. It's the biggest weekend for AMC theaters since 2019 and the fourth highest selling box office ever. Barbenheimer, so-called combination of Barbie and Oppenheimer, collected $235.5 million domestically. Could Kylian Mbappe soon join Cristiano Ronaldo in Saudi Arabia? His soccer team, Paris Saint-Germain, accepted a record $332 million offer from the Saudi club Al-Halal. The decision now rests with the French superstar, but ESPN sources say he is not interested in the offer. Speaking of sports, the U.S. Women's World Cup team victory over Vietnam on Friday drew 6.26 million viewers on Fox Sports. It was the most watched soccer telecast in America since the Men's World Cup final last year. Scientists unveil a new kind of avocado. It's called the Luna and was invented at the University of California, Riverside. Researchers say it's easier to harvest than the normal kind, which apparently is called a Haas. And the best place to retire in America is not in Florida. It is Lancaster, Pennsylvania. That's all the time we have. Go out to Twitter. Check out the rest. That's it. Lancaster, Pennsylvania. U.S. News. Best place in America to retire. Great people. Take them a while to get from one place to the other sometimes. But hey. All right. Still ahead. Where inflation is still running wild. The eye-watering numbers fueling streamflation after this.
Time for the last call. Watch this. All right, first up, it's not one stock, it's a group. Chinese tech stocks like Alibaba, JD.com, Baidu, all rallying today. It comes after top leaders in Beijing vowed more support for China's struggling economy with hopes of stimulus on the way. Next up, Bitcoin. It's price taking a hit. It's now back under 30000 The Wall Street Journal reporting that Binance CEO CZ Zhang was aware of what they call wash trading on U.S. crypto exchanges, or Binance. Employees were allegedly trading crypto assets amongst themselves or affiliates to boost trading vi- figures. This right after exchange launched in 2019, Binance has denied accusations of any wrongdoing. Also on our watch list, AMC Entertainment shares soaring nearly 33% today. Yes, 33% after a Delaware judge blocked its controversial stock conversion plan. The surprise ruling sending AMC investors into a frenzy. AMC shares now more than 40% this year. All right, next up, call this streamflation. If you haven't noticed, you should. Check your credit cards. The price of probably every streaming service you use, music, video, whatever, continues to go up. Don't believe us? Here we go. Let's start with Spotify. They just announced they're increasing the price of their premium and student plans by a dollar from $9.99 to $10.99 a month for premium and $4.99 to $5.99 for students. 10% and 20% jump respectively. But they're not the worst offenders. Listen to this. Five years ago, YouTube TV cost $40 a month. Now, $73. It's an 82% increase. Netflix, $11 in 2018, $15.49 today. A 40% jump. Disney Plus, $7 at its launch in 2019. $11 now, 57% jump. ESPN, you're getting it. I'm not going to read all these numbers. ESPN Plus, Peacock, by the way, we raised them as well. Apple TV Plus, they're all higher. A recent study shows Everyone drastically underestimates how much they're really paying for these services. People estimated they spent $86 per month on their total subscriptions. The actual number, $219 a month. That comes out to more than $2,600 per year. And by the way, is the median student loan payment. Joining us now, Abrar Alhidi, CNET entertainment reporter, and Elaine Lowe, reporter for The Ankler. Abrar, or I should ask you and Elaine both, have you gone through your own, your own credit card receipts and streaming and found stuff? I found a few that I didn't even know I was still subscribed to. I mean, how bad could this get? I feel like I need to do that now after seeing those numbers spelled out Tonight. in front of me. It's, it's the thing is, it's you know, you see one platform raise its prices, but then, you know, you might think it's just a dollar or two, but they're all doing it. So it really adds up. So it is important to go back, see, what are you subscribing to? And do you want to keep subscribing to all those things? Because subscription fatigue is real. You know, and the the weird thing is, Elaine, they keep going up and yet nobody's making any money. Spotify is not profitable. I, I don't think even our Peacock, I don't think any of those names on our board that we just showed people are profitable. Well, streaming is a low margin business, especially when you're looking at the major entertainment companies and you compare that to linear broadcast and cable networks. You look at how much revenue ESPN generates versus ESPN Plus, uh, and you have a fair idea of how tough it is to be a streamer in this age, especially when every single major company has its own streaming platform. And during the pandemic, you know, there was really a concentration on subs growth when there were captive audiences at home. And there were many shows that were commissioned by the studios, but now the industry is emerging from this growth at all costs model to one that's envisioning profitability. Yeah. And we have, and by the way, Abrar, we have, we have a strike and they, they want a piece 
of this streaming revenue, probably well-deserved. And if they get it, or I should say probably when they get it, you can imagine we're probably going to see very quickly afterwards another series of price hikes. That's right. It is. It is very much a developing industry right now, and it's it's a changing industry. And uh, that's something that, as these companies look to be profitable, that's that's going to be something that also needs to be taken into consideration. I mean, and consumers in particular um, are are really feeling the pinch. But it's not going to change. I mean, this is this is not something that we're just going to be dealing with right now. We're going to continue to see this in in the months and years ahead. You know, it's 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 interesting, Elaine. We just talked about Elon Musk, and everybody's knocking him for 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 destroying Twitter and whatever he's trying to do there. You know, it's interesting. Our industry, cable TV, nicely profitable for decades. All of a sudden, it's streaming. Everybody decided to basically, we've decided to give up an amazingly profitable model for a model which makes no money and, by the way, offers more choice. Yes, but in, at the end of the day, the consumer is probably going to end up paying more. How, how did we, and, and this may be my last TV segment of all time, by the way, after saying that, how did we end up here? What happened? Well, you have consumers who are shifting to digital. You have, uh, you know, mainly older consumers who are consuming linear entertainment. And so there is a move to go where the consumers are. And when you have, you know, 20 somethings who don't even know what network the office originated on because all they've ever seen it on is Netflix. Well, then you can see the major patterns in in consumer in audience consumption, right? In entertainment consumption. And, you know, going back to the strike, I think the interesting thing is, is looking at the short term impact that it's had. You saw Netflix earnings out last week that actually boosted their free cash flow by one and a half billion dollars for the year. But that's also uh, a, a short term lever. Right. So it'll be yeah, interesting to just, see uh, how. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how these companies put uh, the, you know money back into into in, you know what kind of capital deployment they have after this. Whether it's mainly stock buybacks or whether it'll go to uh, you know investing in content, which certainly at this point it doesn't seem that way because they're all trying to cut costs at yeah. the moment. L listen, uh, we got to go. I'm waiting for some rich venture capital backed company start an airline. All the tickets are free. You just gotta gotta watch ads the entire flight. You know, like it's, you, at some point, it's probably going to happen. Elaine Lowe, Abrar Alhidi, great discussion. Thank you both very much. Thanks for having All me. right, by the way, quick programming note tomorrow in LA, CNBC and Boardroom host Game Plan. It's gonna be a great event. You got Kevin Durant, you got Paolo Banchero, the pro NBA player, former Duke star, Travis Scott, and a lot of others. You can go to cnbcevents.com slash game plan or hit that QR code on your screen. All right. Make It Mondays is back because it's Monday. We're going to take you to the great outdoors or one couple's campground purchase has turned into a bit of a money-making machine. Stick around. All right, welcome back. It is time for our Make It Mondays series where we highlight some amazing entrepreneurs across America tonight. You're going to meet Mark and Carla Lemoyne. They quit their jobs to go all in on a campground in Michigan. Here's their story. We really saw the wear and tear of working for corporate America had on our family. We're Mark and Carla Lemoyne, and we own the Coloma St. Joseph KOA Holiday here in beautiful Southwest Michigan. 
for most of our marriage, I was the sole breadwinner and uh, I had a 24 year career in government affairs. It was very stressful, uh, but we were ready for something new. We long talked about owning and operating a campground someday. When you came home and said, I think we're gonna do this, it just felt right to me, but we had two kids in college and two kids at home, so it was a big risk. I think I said, let's just drive through this property in St. Joseph. And as soon as we drove in the driveway, it just felt like home. We sold everything we owned uh, to buy the campground. We ended up buying the park for 1.6 million. There was a lot of upgrading that would need to be done. It just needed some love. We have now 15,000 people every year that come through this property. In 2022, the campground was able to bring in $1.23 million. We're tracking about 15% over last year already. 80% of our annual revenue comes between Memorial Day and Labor Day weekends. We have about a half a million dollars that is has been received uh, as an advanced deposit for guests that are still yet to come. I would encourage anybody, don't be held back. Uh, by your fear. If there's something else that is you know, stirring within you that you want to do, uh, pursue it. If at the very worst you failed, you failed trying. Yeah. And Mark Lemoyne joining us now. By the way, Benton Harbor, that whole coast of Michigan, it's one of the most beautiful spots in America. If you haven't been, you got to go. But Mark, why a campground? What, what was it about the campground that was like, let's do a campground? My wife and I, we always had just a heart for the outdoors and uh, like many campers, we had positive experiences. We also had bad experiences. We weren't, we weren't foolish enough to think how hard could it be, but we knew that we could do a little bit better. And after 24 years in the government affairs industry, I was absolutely exhausted. We still need good people there, of course, uh, but my tour of duty was done. So I literally talked to a business owner and uh, who I viewed as a mentor of sorts, and he challenged me with two questions. If I could do anything in the world, what would it be? And before I answer that, I didn't change something dramatic about what I do. Fast forward to when I'm 80 years old, looking back at life, what do I regret not trying? And I immediately said, I wanted to own a campground. Came home, told Carla, she says, why not? So we put wheels into motion and we did it. I love it. Great lesson, no matter what you like. What are the economics of a campground? I have no idea what the economics are. Although I did look up, it's 56 bucks a night for a platform for a tent, I think. Yeah, it, it varies. I mean, the outdoor hospitality industry is much like the hotel industry. You know, you can have a room that has a view of a wall or you can have a room that has a view of, you know, Central Park. You're going to pay a different price point uh, for those two different rooms. So, you know, our site types are different. The price point is different. Uh, but, you know, we have guests literally coming either with a tent uh, or their own recreational vehicle. Uh, and we have, as many uh, KOAs and other campgrounds across the country have, uh, various uh, accommodations, uh, camp, you know, camping cabins, deluxe cabins. We even have glamping tents uh, here on our property. Uh, and then in addition to the accommodation itself, we've got a general store with the cafe and food service. So uh, there's different, different parts of the, of the business that all come together in the end. Fantastic. Benton Harbor, Michigan, KOA Campground, Mark Lemoyne with Carla. Really appreciate you coming on on CNBC and a a great story and urge everybody to get back to the outdoors. Mark, thank you very much. Thanks, Thanks, Brian. You're very welcome.
All right, to learn more about CBC Make It, you can go to cbcmakeit.com, subscribe to their newsletter, and again, it's what's with all these QR codes? Anyway, just keep your phone, like, looking at the TV the entire show. All right, coming up. Did you know it is National Tequila Day? And if Last Call ignores it, we're going to lose our fake liquor license. So we're breaking out the good stuff and celebrating accordingly how it may soon take the crown of America's most valuable liquor. It is National Tequila Day. Now, tequila is having a moment. Last year, tequila surpassed whiskey to become the second most valuable liquor type in America. Only vodka does more now. And if tequila continues its sales growth, it will pass vodka in a few years. The question is, why? The co-founder and CEO of tequila brand, Vita De Louis. This, Mark Lowry, thank you for joining us. Uh, I think my favorite tequila quote is, uh, you can dance, trust me, love tequila. Um, <laughs> Tequila, everybody's got, I've got an opinion on tequila. I'm not going to share on the air. Why is it so big? And, and uh, why the pirate? Yeah, um, we, th- first of all, thank you for having me. We just wanted to have a fun brand. We don't take ourselves too seriously. And, and we just want a great tequila uh, for people to enjoy um, and, and just try to make it fun. Once again, Vita de Louis, we try to think of, everyone knows a Louis that's a fun guy. So um, that's kind of where we stand. Uh, As far as tequila goes, you know, it's pure. There are no additives. It's gluten-free. It's kosher. um, It checks all the boxes. And, you know, it's very light on the calorie, no sugars, or very light on the sugars. So it's a great, um, you know, a great spirit. You know, you did did get me thinking, Mark. Every Louis I know was, is, is, or was fun. I got right. I got to dive a little deeper. In it. That said, when I look at you know you go to a bar and you look and you want to order something, uh, there's a lot. I mean, it's a crowded space. H- how do you get noticed in that crowd? It is. It's funny you say that because we you know we prefer brand, uh, locations that uh, don't have a lot of tequilas so that people can experience our tequila and decide for themselves. You know you get a lot of talking heads with their opinion. Um, you get a lot of people that have spokes. People, you know, we don't have a Ryan Reynolds, we don't have a, a Ryan Gosling, or we don't have a, you know, like George Clooney. But our our brand speaks for itself. You know, the tastes were extremely smooth. We um, we actually uh, when we chose the recipe, we you know looked at it, and made sure that we had an extra level of aeration, which makes it extremely smooth. So um, the other thing I would suggest too to all your um, viewers out there is to um, you know, try it with an orange. Forget the lime, forget the salt, and try it with an orange instead of a lime. That's interesting because there's people that make margaritas with Grand Marnier, which I think is it's like an orange taste. Why the orange? The, the citrus just makes it a little bit sweeter since there isn't much sugar in the, uh, in the tequila. It just makes it taste better. There's not a little bitter taste. Um, you know, our tequila, we're proud to say, you don't make the face, you know, so it's... Uh, it's it's easy to to drink and to enjoy both for people that um, enjoy tequila or that are tequila snobs as well as people that are just getting into the tequila. You know the funny thing, Mark, you're um, the guy that was on from the KOA campground. You know everyone's had a, a bad experience and everyone's had a good experience with tequila. So um, we want everyone's experience to be good. Yeah, I love Thank it. V- Vita de Louis tequila. 
You got a number of different vari varietals. We appreciate it. Mark, we're showing it on the air. By the way, you do not pay to come on. I'm just going to show it because I'm, I'm nice and I appreciate you coming on. Mark Lowry, thank you very much. Yeah, thank you, Brian. I appreciate it. Right, you very National. welcome. All right. Be well. Thank you. All right. Do you know what happened 41 years ago tonight? One of the most popular songs of all time topped the pop charts. By the way, by the way, high on you, much better song, but you go, Survivor. Hey, everybody, thanks for watching Last Call. Happy Tequila Day. We'll see you tomorrow night. Shark Tank is next. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.